ahead and find Colossians chapter 3 in your Bibles. That's where it will be today. Good to see all of you today. I hope that you are not too much disjointed, distracted, and defeated today. I hope that this will be a day of joy for you. But I realize that so many live with disjointed, distracted, defeated lives. And I know that every regenerate believer in the Lord Jesus knows the inexpressible joy of union with Christ and uh, the unrelenting battle with sin that we are all waging. What often shapes us isn't identity in Christ, but something that we let ourselves be conformed to from the culture. We might latch on to a false identity or some kind of falsehood or some kind of facade that can actually be a smokescreen over hideous sin. And we can put on this veneer of, of self-righteous morality where it seems that we are always competing with others and always comparing ourselves with others and always conforming to the world versus trusting God to transform us to Christ. Recently, there has been such a seismic social and political and emotional upheaval. I think it's given the flesh many opportunities to virtue signal, to display our image, to try to influence other people with our ideas. But here's what happens. We are left miserable. We are left unhappy and sometimes divided with those we should be united with. And this is the way of sin in the world. This is what happens. And if we are not careful, we will get sucked into the vortex. A.W. Tozier put it this way, in the world of men, we find nothing approaching the virtues of which Jesus spoke. Instead of poverty of spirit, we find the rankest kind of pride. Instead of mourners, we find pleasure seekers. Instead of meekness, arrogance. Instead of mercy, we find cruelty. Instead of purity heart, we find corrupt imagining. Instead of peacemakers, we find men quarrelsome and resentful. Instead of rejoicing in mistreatment, we find them fighting back with every weapon at their command. Because it is true that we live in a world, we live in a universe where God's image has been marred by sin and the identity of many has become rooted in unbiblical garbage. And the truth is twisted, lies are accepted, God's design is rejected, and you could actually have a really joyless and confusing life that gets complicated by an ever-changing immorality that gets pushed upon us, and it seeks to destroy. This is why we must cling carefully to the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, because that must be our identity compass as we navigate the treacherous terrain uh, both internally and externally. But today... In Colossians 3, 1 through 11, I want you to, to enjoy Christ with me as we dive into this passage, because it highlights God's image and our identity in Christ. It tells us that God's image shapes our identity in Christ. Now, if you are one who has gotten too mixed up and caught up in politics or social issues, 
and you've forgotten where your identity lies, you need this passage of Scripture to reframe you. If you are caught up in some secret sin, if you are hurting or angry or anxious or resentful or proud, you need this passage to to reorient you. If you have veered off the path of faith, or if you think you are right on track, we all need a refresher course in our identity in Christ. You need a refresher course on your identity. And if you're not a believer, I hope that today you can see what it means to be one. This passage tells believers that you must know and live your identity in Christ so that you continue to serve him. You must know and live your identity in Christ so that you continue to serve him. There's two points I want to bring out in this passage. The first is in verses 1 to 4. You must know your identity. Know your identity. God's image shapes your identity in Christ. And the second point in verses 5 through 10, live your identity. Live your identity. Your identity in Christ must be engaged to serve God's purposes. And I hope that this passage will be like cold water to a weary soul for you. I hope that you will relish who Jesus is and and get a fresh look at what God has done, what he is doing, and what he has promised to do. I have airlifted you you know, right into the middle of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3. We're just landing here today. Let me set a little bit of context. What kind of letter Colossians is? Colossians was a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Colossae. It was a city built on a major trade route uh, through the Lycus River Valley in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey. It was written in about A.D. 60, It was written to counter false teaching and teaching that was imposing strict rules and advocating false worship. And Paul, in Colossians, shows the superiority of Christ over all, how God's elect must leave sin behind and live godly as they look to Christ. Colossians really gives the Christian life in summary form, begins with Christ's preeminence in chapter 1, verse 18. It speaks of the image of God and how in Christ you are remade. It speaks of how Christ in you, Christ in the believer, is your hope of glory and how that ought to affect everything. Now, I first want you to see in verses 1 through 4, God's image shapes your identity in Christ. And we'll get into verse 10 as well, and then we'll go through verses 5 through 9. But verse 1 begins this way, If then... If then, speaking of a reality, there's a reality that has happened. If then, since you have been raised with Christ, co-resurrected, it's a completed action being spoken of that God does. If that is true, if you're a Christian and you've been raised with Christ, as the Bible says, seek, there's a present active imperative there, it's an ongoing habitual action, a continual action that's being commanded, seek the things that are above the heavenly things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And we know that Christ, after he rose from the dead, uh, spent time on earth, and then ascended to the Father. And now, before he returns, he is at the right hand of the Father. Uh, To sit at the right hand is a place of honor. He is honored, the honored Lord of all. If you've been raised with Christ, seek ongoing, continual, habitually, 
do this, seek the things that are above. And you're like, wait a minute, my life is really complicated right down here below. How can I be thinking about the things above? Verse 2 tells you, set your mind. It's about the way you think. You need to be mindful. Again, another present active imperative. This is an ongoing, habitual, continual action that is being commanded to focus your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Now, keep your eye on the, we- on the, on the road as you're, as you're driving home today, but you should be thinking about things that are heavenly, things that are biblical, things that are about how to please Jesus. Because verse 3 tells you you've died. If you're a Christian, you have died. Spiritually, you were dead, and now you've died to your old life, and your life is, and this is the great phrase, hidden with Christ in God. Your life as a believer, if you are a believer, it's hidden. your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? You need to understand your identity here. What does that mean? It, it suggests several things. First, there's a supply going on. Your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. A believer's life is nurtured by some supply that God is, is giving. But there's also a safety, really a double safety here. You're hidden with Christ in God. God has got you. He's holding you. But there's also a suggestion of an identity here that the believer is identified with the risen Lord. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this signifies a a completed action, a state of being that springs from an action God took in the past when he saved you and put you into the body of Christ. So if you're a believer, that happened at the point of conversion when you came to faith in Christ. You heard the gospel message of Christ crucified in your place and he was buried, and he died, on, he died and he, he, was, he rose on the third day, and he's coming back, and you believe the message that you can't save yourself, that you were then put into the body of Christ, and Christ is now your life, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, verse 4 tells us that when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he is made manifest, that literally when he returns, the coming of Christ, at which time the veil will be removed, and things that are now hidden from our eyes will be revealed. When Christ returns, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's keeping you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. No matter what happens today, if you're a believer, your life is secure in Christ. Now, I want your, I want your eyes to fall down to verse 10 for a moment. I want you to see what verse 10 talks about. And verse 10 says that you have put on the new self. Now, this is talking about a point in time. The new man, regenerate self, replaces the old man. And this is the essence of identity in Christ. You've put on the new self. Believers, we all know we still sin. That's due to our unredeemed flesh. But our soul is redeemed in Christ. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed. That means it's made new again. It's a newness in quality. And the idea is that it's being continually acted upon by God, that you are always being renewed by God in Christ. This is not like being restored like an old car, where you find some junker in a field that's all rusted out, and you weld it back together, and you put new coats of paint on it and say, hey, look, look what we redid this. That's not what this is about. This is where... This is referring to something that did not exist before coming into being, a new creature in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. You are new. 
again, not taking uh, and restoring an old car. It's referring to what did not exist before, and God creates, God makes it exist. And the being renewed isn't done by you. You do not do the renewing of yourself. God is acting upon you as part of your identity in Christ, that God is in control. This is in contrast to your former reality, which describes what you were like dead in your transgressions and sins, you know, walking according to the, the world. This here about being renewed in Christ is describing a new quality of life, again, that never existed before. Now, picture a little baby being born. And you see that little baby, and it's got fingers and toes and arms and legs and a head and a mouth and ears and what have you. All the parts are there. But no one would think that that baby is fully grown at that moment, but it is complete. It is complete. The baby is complete. It's going to now, everything's going to grow. The baby has a brain, but the ba the, everything's going to grow in that baby. Well, this is like the, your life in Christ is like a baby being born is complete but immature. The new man is complete but needs to grow, needs to get engaged in the process. And what does it say? It says that you're being renewed in knowledge. There's an intensified meaning there, and it's not some inner impression or feeling you have. It is a deep, thorough knowledge that you only get from the written word of God, and the revealed word of God. This is how Paul spoke to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 2.4, you need to come to a knowledge of the truth, a thorough knowledge without which you'll have no spiritual growth or renewal. This is like Peter saying in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You need to know the truth. And you'll notice that you're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So your soul is being renewed after the image of its creator, the image of, of God being seen in the believer. So it's applied to us on account of God's power to, to command new life. And you got saved. It's a sovereign act of God. But it's also applied to the creator, to Christ, on account of his divine nature and absolute excellence over all. Renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So that should swing you back to Genesis chapter 1, where God says in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, our likeness, and in the image of God he made them male and female. That You were designed by God, and you were given life by God. And this is not something that we make up or that mankind just, you know, dreams up out of nowhere. Paul, when he was speaking in uh, Athens, in Acts chapter 17, he actually says this. He's like, man didn't dream God up. There's no image formed in the heart of man that made this come about. God existed, and God decreed what he would do, and we are made in his image with a holy identity. Adam and Eve were made in God's image in the likeness of God. But we all know very quickly in Genesis, things devolved, and the image was unmade. It was, was a marred image due to sinful depravity. And what you'll notice early on in Genesis, as early as Genesis 5.3, that Seth is made after the image and likeness of Adam. You have the image-marred fallenness 
that's going to get repeated all the way through human history. You'll notice in Genesis 9, 6, it says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. That even capital punishment is because of sinful rebellion against God. Justice will prevail because God is holy. But what did mankind do in sinful depravity? took and, and, and in the marred image of God, proceeded to create all kinds of images and worship them. And they wor mankind worshiped the creation rather than the creator and even took the, the smallest insects and beetles and what have you and made, made images out of those and worshiped them. Deceived and disobedient, ruined and banished. But there was a restoration a remaking, a redemption promised where we, would be, we could be remade in Christ, be redeemed, being made holy and useful to God for his glory. That, that as the Bible says, that anyone who comes to faith in Christ now was chosen by God before the foundation of the world, is called by the gospel, when you hear the gospel message, and then are justified, made right with God through faith in Christ, and are being sanctified, being made more like Christ, and will be glorified. One day in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be with Christ like Christ. That salvation from start to finish encompasses this. There's a regeneration where the dead becomes alive. God makes the dead come to life. There is a sanctification. There is a glorification going on. There is a new creation. Galatians 2.20 says, we've been crucified with Christ. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Ephesians 2.10, it speaks of us being God's workmanship, literally his poem, literally his creative act, that, that he, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should live in those. Romans 8.29 speaks of being predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, the serpent-crushing seed of the woman. It is God's plan to have his earth filled with image bearers, his image bearers who look and like and resemble him. What will that resemblance look like? How will you recognize someone who is a follower of Christ? I want to take you back to a verse in the Old Testament. I want to take you back to Exodus 34. I want to take you back to the first condensed description of God's character by God himself. Exodus chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7. The golden calf debacle had happened. Moses had smashed the tablets on which the law was written. And God says to Moses, now I want you to cut out two new tablets, and I'm going to write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and be ready and present yourself to me at Mount Sinai. And as he rises early in the morning and goes up, just like God commands him, he takes in his hands the two stone tablets. And here is what happens. God descends in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, covenant-keeping God, holy sovereign God, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, or merciful, and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, 
and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He forgives repentant sin. This gives you assurance, I think, in an unpredictable world that the character reflected in your Christian life where you are called away from sin and to following the Lord will look like the Lord and look like he describes himself. Compassionate, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, patient, forbearing, abounding in love. New commandment I give you that you should love one another and faithfulness, maintaining love and, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You might ask the question, why does the New Testament not have Exodus 34, 6 all the way through? It, it isn't quoted. It's quoted 27 times in the Old Testament by Old Testament writers. And the reason why, I believe, is that because the New Testament literally just gives that as the picture over and over and over again. I'll just go to Ephesians 2, and we'll give you one example. In Ephesians 2, in verse 1, it begins that, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy, there's the merciful God, because of the great love, there's his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. There's his graciousness. And raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's all before you get to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not, a result, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Colossians 2.20 tells us we've died with Christ. It refers to the believer's union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Romans 6 tells us we've been transformed to new life, away from all worldly folly. Which image will we be, will we be transformed into? Will we be conformed to? Nancy Guthrie asked the question, is, is God's intention that we would look like Adam and Eve in Eden before the fall? The answer is no. God intends for us to bear his image far more intensely, far more securely, far more permanently and pervasively than Adam and Eve bore that image in Eden. God intends for us to bear his image far more openly and radiantly even than Jesus did in his life and ministry on earth. Because God intends for you, if you're a believer, for you to bear the image of the risen and reigning and glorified Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Colossians 1, 15 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He condescended to live among those made in God's image. But that image had been marred by sin. God sent his son wrapped in human flesh into the world, as Philippians 2 says, born in the likeness of men. As Romans 8, 3 says, made in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he took on the visage of marred humanity to redeem fallen man and remake him in his true, 
victorious image and likeness. In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's Jesus Christ has made God known to us. Think of it, Adam. Adam was created in the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. He's not simply a reflection of the image of God, but he is the origin and source. He is God par excellence. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one from whom we get our image. That's the goal toward which the image of God is being restored in every believer. The Bible writers went to great lengths to exalt Christ. John called him the great I am, the door, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the way and the truth and the life, the resurrection and the life. Paul said he's the firstborn. He's preeminent. He's Lord over all. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, just over and over again, Jesus is greater and and better than all. As Hebrews 1.3 tells us, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so when you go back to Colossians 3 here, and verse 10, what we see is that you're renewed after the image of your creator when you are in Christ. The image of God is a critical theme in biblical theology. From the beginning of the end in Genesis to the end of the beginning in Revelation, you see God working to redeem fallen man and remake them into his image. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, believers are told that we are being transformed in relation to God, an ongoing process of sanctification, of transformation into the same image, it says, So as you gaze at the glory of Christ, you are continually being transformed into Christ's likeness. That is God's ultimate goal, to make you like Christ. As you continually focus on Christ, the Spirit transforms you more and more into his image. You'll notice that it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from one level of glory to another, manifesting Christ. God is doing the work. He is describing your progressive sanctification. God is working in you. And the more you grow in your knowledge of Christ, the more he is revealed in your life. The glory of Christ, as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, who is the image of God. And everyone who is in Christ is a new creature in Christ. The image of God, critical for you and I to understand the flow even of redemptive history. God creates man And woman, in his image, justly punishes them for rebellion, graciously provides redemption, will consummate redemptive history by transforming the whole creation into a new heaven and a new earth. And so many of you are confused and frustrated over your identity. And where you live, when you live right now, In 2021, you can identify however you'd like. I mean, open permission has been granted in this culture. And it's not just confusing, it is immoral. Where you can be conformed to an ungodly image. We can choose an ungodly image and say, that's me now. And you've got us made by God in his image. And an image marred, unmade by sin, ruined. But we are remade in Christ. 
the image is being restored, reformed, renewed, reclaimed. But we need to look at verses 5 to 9. Because God is not waiting until resurrection day to get started on this lifelong process of image and identity transformation in your life. First point in this passage, God's image shapes your identity in Christ, renewed after the image of your creator. But the second point is, your identity in Christ must be engaged. The gears must lock in as you serve God's purposes. You must want to serve Christ. You must want to do what pleases God. And living proof will be seen. Look at verse 5. Here's another command. Put to death. Consider as dead, reckon as dead, therefore. You're making a conscious effort to put to death the remaining sin in your flesh, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, which is deep-seated anger, evil desires, covetousness, which is unsatisfied selfishness, which is idolatry. This is making evident that your body is used to carry out evil desires. And according, back then, and according to the rabbis, there were as many commandments in the law as as your body has parts. And the evil impulses were said to be king over 248 body parts. And and the two passions, which the evil inclination of mankind's heart played the most on were idolatry and adultery, which both ruin your identity. Verse six says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. His constant, unchanging reaction against sin is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The deep-seated anger of God showing itself in eternal punishment to come upon those who willfully will, will say no to Christ and practice sexual sin or uncontrolled greed or serve idols and show themselves to be an unbeliever who reflect the nature of the disobedient and rebellious sinfulness that they love. It's sad, and we should weep over it. And if you're a professing believer... You need to be set free from being held captive to sin and be captive to Christ in obedience to the truth and live your true identity. Let the gears engage. Verse 7 says, in these you too once walked. But you you, you were conducting your life like this. You were taking part in this. When you were living in them, you used to live like that. Some of you might say, I never went through a rebellious stage in my life. Well, you have a rebellious heart. Look what it says in verse 8, but now, the present tense, now, the reality of your life in Christ, you must put them all away. Here is a command. The old man died, the new man lives in Christ. Fact. So the new creation, regeneration into Christ's likenessness is to which you're being called. You put away anger, wrath, malice, slander. Slander is when you belittle someone and cause them to have a bad reputation. And obscene talk from your mouth. And verse 9, let's make it as practical as possible. Don't lie to each other. Seeing that you have put off the old self, the unregenerate self originating in Adam, with its practices. This lines up perfectly with Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't assume the outward form that does not reflect what's inside you as a believer. Don't act like you're on a masquerade And don't let what is happening keep on happening. You realize do not be conformed means stop letting it happen. 
Stop letting yourself be conformed to the beliefs or the values or the spirit of the age. Stop letting yourself be shaped by all the contemporary thinking and values and the world's immoral atmosphere that is driven by the devil. Who is forming you? Who is informing you? Who is shaping your identity? What is shaping your identity? If you're a Christian, you're you're to be transformed. That's where we get our word metamorphosis. Same word that's used of Jesus in Matthew 17, of of the transfiguration. The transfiguration, Jesus briefly displayed outwardly his divine nature in glory at the transfiguration. The Christian should outwardly show their inner redeemed nature not once but daily. It should come out. There are some people that will say, I'm not going to fake it. Right, because what's really in there is going to come out. It says through the renewing of your mind. Transformation happens as the Holy Spirit changes your thinking as you're in constant exposure to the Word of God and consistent meditation on the Word of God, thinking it through as you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, as Colossians 3.16 says. The conformed mind is infected and ruined by the world. The transformed mind is is saturated and controlled by the word of God. Your identity is shaped by the explicit teaching of scripture. And then let's come back to verse 10 again. You have put on the new self. Happened at a point of time, the new man, the regenerate self, which is being renewed, making new again, newness in quality, continual action, always being renewed by God. You're not doing the renewing. God is acting upon you. Aren't you glad? After the image of its creator. Verse 11 says, Christ is all. And in all, he is our life. It is God's will and plan for you. It is his purpose for you to be consistently, increasingly becoming like Jesus Christ. Progressively becoming more like the one who made you. That you would reflect Christ-likeness now as you will reflect Christ-likeness perfectly in heaven Here, imperfectly, but still, you should be reflecting it. This is why you don't lose heart, as 2 Corinthians 4.16 says. Your outer self is wasting away, but your inner self is being renewed day by day. Your knees hurt, your back aches, your neck is stiff, but God is renewing your soul. Your growth, your maturity process as a believer is constant because God is in control of it, and you need to be engaged in that. Yes, your physical body is decaying, but your inner self continues to grow and mature in Christ-likeness. Philippians 3.21 says, God will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Good news for our, for our bodies one day. But Christ is all and in all, and we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds We have put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, as Ephesians 4 tells us. And while all of that is true, some of you are really focused on your image and on image management and and just trying to make sense of life. But you say, well, I had so many unfair things happen to me in life. I I have permission to act badly. I have so many undeserved troubles and heartache. The same thing keeps happening to me over and over again, and 
I'm making the same mistakes and having the same struggles and heartbreaks. But what do you say about the unexpected sunshine when God just blows a, a wind of blessing past you and something good happens? Are you really going to do the math and say, well, I'm blessed for doing things right and I'm cursed for doing things wrong? That's living superstitiously. Uh, you might say, God doesn't like me because I don't like myself. Let me tell you, Romans 6 says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. The renewed in the spirit of our minds. The redeemed worship the glorious Christ. I was thinking, I wonder if the book of Revelation has anything about the image, the image of God even in it. And you know what you have in the book of Revelation a number of times? People who would or would not worship the image of the beast. Well, the redeemed worship the glorious Christ in whose image they are remade by God's undeserved grace. He's remaking every chosen child. He, that means if you're a Christian, he loves you. That means if you're a Christian, he cares for you. He is the sovereign Lord. He is gracious toward you. He is merciful towards you. He is slow to anger toward you. He is forbearing and patient with you, far more than, than humans are. He is abounding in steadfast love toward you. He forgives your confessed sins and he rightly judges your unrepentant ones. He makes you like him. As 1 John 3 says, we are children of God now. We will be like him. The Holy Spirit is working in us the image of Christ. And when Christ returns, he will conform you to the glorious ultimate reality of his likeness. You know, it's, it's, almost, it's like this. As much as glorified humanity can be like incarnate deity, you will be without becoming deity. You'll be like Christ. And let me just give you several, quickly, several applicational truths about that, about your identity in Christ that you can hold on to today. Number one, your identity in Christ is eternally secure because God did it, because of who God is. You think about your identity, how you identify, how you explain yourself, how you say who you are. Many of us will say, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a spouse, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, I'm a worker, I'm a citizen, I'm a neighbor. What do you lead with? Lead with Christian. If you're a Christian, lead with, I'm a follower of Christ. Because when you came to Christ, you received a spiritual heart transplant, which gives you so much reason to live, because you were dead and now you're alive. In the new birth, the great physician removes your old heart, replaces it with a new heart, and that exchange is who you are now. You have a new identity. It affects everything about you. So number one, your identity in Christ is eternally secure because of who God is. Number two, your identity in Christ leads to greater obedience as the gears lock in. You know sin can so easily creep in and corrupt things. There's why we see in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Until Christ returns or calls you home, your obedience is to be like Christ's by the Spirit obeying the Father. Number three, your identity in Christ must affect all of your life. You should have a greater realism about life. You don't have to look at life with rose-colored glasses. You don't have to look at life with dark glasses. You can look at life through a biblical lens, which gives you greater contentment. You can go on in sickness and health and rich and poor because you learn the secret of contentment that Paul did. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It will make you more humble and gentle. It will make you more faithful in little and more faithful in much. we got the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. 
we have this, the same scriptures that were given to us to give us instruction and encouragement, which, by the way, does not give you any guarantee of earth-shattering success and results in everything you do. You just reflect the grace and the mercy and the love and the patience and the forgiveness of Christ. Amy Carmichael, one of my favorite missionaries, one of my favorite writers, faced many trials in her life, much pain, and she maintained intimate fellowship with God. And one of the things she wrote was, I do not think there is anything from the beginning of our Christian life to the end that is so keenly attacked as our quiet with God, for it is in quietness that we are fed. The idea of your thoughts being so important in your life and the primary focus of your thoughts ought to be, I love Jesus so much, what would worship him, what would honor him, what would please him? And not one time, but a laser focus. It, you know, by the way, think of Mother's Day. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's good that you do something good for your mom on Mother's Day, but it's not what you do or don't do on a specific day of the year that ultimately counts relationally. It is the aggregate love and care and honor that you show your mother. Similarly is true about and you, as you follow Christ, your identity depends on him, and the more you reflect his image, the more pleasing you are to him, and he loves you no matter what you do. But the Bible is very clear. Your will must want to be like him and want to please him, not to make him love you more, but to show your love and to please your heavenly father in the aggregate of life in all the sum of life. Number four, your identity in Christ leads to grateful service. Here is Christ with all authority in heaven and on earth, and your calling is to serve him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. To serve him every hour of the day, every sphere of life, Colossians 3.17, Colossians 3.23 and 24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Glorify him, bless others. One day he will present you with all the brides, in glorious splendor. This is not just an individual thing. The, the new creation is not just individual. It is corporate. It is cosmic. Your salvation puts you into community with other new creations in Christ who have experienced and are experiencing image renewal. So most gladly spend and be spent for the souls of others who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll give you one last one, number five. Your identity in Christ is reason to rejoice today. It is reason to rejoice Jesus, is, Jesus promises you joy in serving him. These things I have spoken to you, he says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So rejoice in your identity in Christ, even as your life fluctuates, even as things go good or bad. God is love, and only he can satisfy your deepest longings. John Owen said, let us not bring dishonor to the gospel by thinking that faith in it or obedience to it bring only trouble and persecution and unpopularity and not joy and peace and assurance. You might feel like a failure today. Seriously, you might go, I'm a failure as a mom. I'm a failure as a dad. I'm a failure as a spouse. I'm a failure as a kid. I'm a failure in whatever I do, and I've seriously messed up, and I have more regrets than hope. Maybe you, you feel a long way from, from where you were or where you need to be right now, but I want to tell you, Yahweh is merciful and gracious, and loving, and patient, and faithful, and forgiving. He will bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He will give you the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is what this passage is telling us in sum. 
You must know and live your identity in Christ so that you continue to serve him. Know your identity. His image shapes your identity in Christ. Live your identity. Your identity in Christ must be engaged fully to serve his purposes. One day we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we'll see him face to face. But now, right now in this moment, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It doesn't make your life easier, it makes it better. If depraved man had his way, there'd be no Mother's Day. You know that? It's true. We live in a world right now that says that someone who is biologically male can become a female and someone who is biologically female can become a male. The LGBT revolution, the T is the most disruptive of all. It's an absolute rejection in personal identity of the created order, and the scriptures can't be more clear. God made us in his image, male and female, he created them. You stand firm in your identity in Christ, even as the world bashes it. His mercy endures forever. You and I are longing for something better. We are longing for something better than Eden. Due to the misery that sin brings us, we have a glorious future in store for us who are renewed in the image of God. The prospect of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A restoration of the created order where God's people will experience unhindered fellowship with him and the curse of Eden is removed and you know you long for that. That time when life in all its beauty will be lived fully for God's glory. If you're not a Christian today, much of this sounds like gibberish to you. I realize. But I think it's really good for you to be here today in a group of people that are singing songs that express our love for Christ because we are dependent on him and we have our Bibles open because we want to live to honor him. And I would just say, if you're not a believer, stay with us on this. Maybe it'll start making sense. I'm praying that God would open your heart to the beautiful truth of the gospel, Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. And I'll say for the rest of us, there is hope for our disjointed and distracted and defeated spin cycle that you might be in. Fashions and fads, they will come and go, they will blow with the wind. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, we thank you and praise you that our identity in Christ is rooted in your unchanging image. All of us predestined to be conformed to your image must serve you every sphere of life. Mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and citizens and neighbors being remade in Christ. Lord, we look forward to one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, it won't matter what fashion or fad we followed. It will matter that we served you, our faithful King of kings and Lord of lords that we would put ourselves under your authority as we are being remade in your image. We thank you that our identity is rooted in you who never changes. Our hearts, Lord, our hearts cry out to serve you. In whose name we pray, amen.